You're listening to Policy, Guns and Money, the Aspie podcast, with me, Olivia Nelson. Welcome back to Aspie's special series, SB Wise Tears, from managing crisis to managing process in Australia-Indonesia relations since the fall of Suharto. In this episode, Dr. David Angle and Hilary Mansell speak to David Ritchie, who was ambassador to Indonesia from 2002 until 2005. During his time as ambassador, David dealt with a number of crises, including the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, a terror attack on the Australian embassy, and the arrest of the Bali Nine. David, welcome to SB, and thanks for joining us for this podcast. Pleasure. Yes. We'll be discussing several events in your time as ambassador in Jakarta that left a mark on Australia-Indonesia relations. But if there's one recurring theme of your tenure, it is surely terrorism and the impact that it had on, on our relations. In fact, it was the issue for you even before you set foot in the embassy. Mm. You had obviously already been preparing for your assignment before the bombers struck in Bali in October. But I would imagine all those preparations became secondary the instant you learned of the attack. Could you recount your reaction and how the attack affected your earliest days in the mission? Well, thank you, David. Yes, I can actually recall that. It was uh, <laughs> it's one of those things you never forget. In fact, the government had sought the approval of the Indonesian authorities for my posting as ambassador on Friday the 11th. And on Saturday the 12th, the Bali bombing went off. So they'd only just got it in very slightly in advance. But I got a phone call during the night of the 12th early in the morning to say that the bomb had gone off in Bali. I then went straight into the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade and we stood up to the crisis centre and I chaired the interdepartmental committee that deals with, with emergencies like that through most of that day, not just having meetings but fielding questions from the Prime Minister and others about the number of Australians affected, which was, of course, number one on his list. And during the afternoon, after the Cabinet had had a meeting, they decided that we would need to send a small delegation led by Alexander Downer, who was then the Foreign Minister, to Bali as soon as possible to have a look at what was happening on the ground, but then also to have a talk to the Indonesians about how we would take this forward particularly the question of whether we would have a joint investigation with the Indonesians, it being their territory after all. So on Monday morning, we were off with Alexander Downer and a small group of people, including me, to Bali. So on the Monday after the Bali bombing, I remember going to Bali and we were briefed by Rick Smith, uh, my predecessor, uh, who was in Bali and by the police and others. And then we went to have a look at the Sari Club site and the bar, which as you can imagine, you know, within 24 hours was pretty grim. And I remember seeing a lot of Indonesians, obviously, but a lot of Australian staff in the process of looking for survivors in the wreckage. And then with the foreign minister, we had a meeting with the governor of Bali and a whole series of other people about the impact this would have. And then with the foreign minister, we went on to Jakarta and we saw President Megawati. We saw a range of people from other institutions including the Indonesian intelligence agencies and Polri, the Indonesian police and others. And Alexander Downer pursued the question of a joint investigation with them, which I have to say with great happiness, they agreed to immediately and without any problems whatsoever. And then we kept on going. And I received a phone call from Canberra on the Monday afternoon to say, guess what, your 
posting has begun <laughs> and you're not going back to Canberra. Rick was down in Bali, so I took over the running of the embassy during that initial period. As you can imagine, I had a lot of staff down in Bali uh, dealing with it, including Rick. So we had a lot of other issues that we needed to deal with in the embassy, as well as the investigation and so many other things that were going on at the time. But it was a good arrangement and it worked. And eventually Rick was able to leave and, and I took over the embassy. That was the sequence of events. So from very early on the morning of the 12th of October, 2002, I was in Indonesia and there I stayed. And how did the Megawati administration respond to the attack and what impact did their response and the attack itself have on the bilateral relationship? Well, they were very receptive to cooperating with Australia. Why were they so receptive? Why did we already have people on the ground before the formal joint investigation started? Because of people-to-people contacts, because the Commissioner of the Australian Federal Police knew the head of Polri Indonesian Police, Dai Bakhtiar, very well. They had spoken on the phone. Bakhtiar had asked for assistance. He'd got assistance. They quickly arranged to allow specialist Australian staff in. And, of course, there were a lot of consular issues to be dealt with, but also a number of other countries who had people who were engaged in it. We were able to undertake or start an investigation with the Indonesians straight away. The Indonesians had no issues whatsoever about allowing Australians in to assist them. They understood their limitations, but they also accepted, as we had, that it was Indonesian territory. I mean, we often talk about the number of Australians and others who were killed in the Surrey Club bombing and other things, but of course a very large number of Balinese and other Indonesians were, were killed in that And the bombing had, in fact, completely destroyed the economy of Bali. So they had a stake in it. They wanted to find who was responsible. They wanted to clean it up. They wanted to make sure that those who were responsible were brought to justice. They knew they needed some help. For our part, we offered that help readily. We we were very keen to do it. But we also recognised that it was Indonesia (laughs) and it's their country. And they were the authorities who were doing the investigating And we were only there because they had actually asked us to do that. And that was the start of a a tremendous period of partnership in the bilateral relationship. And on that cooperation between Australia and Indonesia and counterterrorism, it was part of a lot of counterterrorism work that Indonesia was doing with the US, the UK and others, as well as Australia. But for all of that work, the bombings actually didn't stop. And after a suicide bombing of the Marriott Hotel Mm. in 2003, the terrorists targeted the Australian embassy. And you were in your office when they struck on the 9th of September in 2004. Yes. My question is, besides the initial shock, what were the critical aspects of this event and its aftermath that left the greatest impression on you? Well... It's left a pretty serious impression on me over the years. (laughs) Before I say that, let me just say, the Indonesians did an excellent job in fighting terrorism. So compared to many other countries in the world, the effort they put in with our help, but with their primacy, was absolutely excellent. And they did a very, very good job. And what we discovered was we were allies we and the you know the vast majority of Indonesians were allies because the the kind of radical Islam that well radical extremists I, I don't even want to call it Islam who were involved and had been through various Islamic boarding schools Basantran and others 
were a very small minority, but they were a challenge to to Indonesia's version of Islam and the way Indonesia operated. So defeating these people was something the Indonesians wanted to do as much as we wanted to do. So we worked really well together. Did not mean that there weren't terrorists around. There were two Malaysian-trained people who were particularly tough with with relatively inexperienced young and easily influenced young Indonesians. They persevered, dragged in also by what was happening internationally through the war in Iraq and a whole series of other things. So we always knew that we were a target in Indonesia, but we didn't know that it was going to end up quite like that. And I remember sitting in my office next to my window uh, and actually at that time typing out a little message to staff saying, you know, there are tons of these rumours around about attacks and we're a target and you need to be very careful and your families need to be careful and everything like that when all of a sudden, of course, it blew up. And something around the equivalent of 200 kilos of TNT and in a little van outside the embassy. And the the driver of the van, the suicide bomber, Azahari and Top, particularly Azahari, had taught this fellow how to drive. He was just a country boy who didn't even know how to drive, and he was only had to drive from one end of the road to the other and then press the button and off it went. And we, um, I remember all hell breaking loose and the ceiling falling in and windows falling in in the embassy and, we were very, very lucky that none of the Australia-based staff or, or the Indonesian staff inside the embassy didn't get killed or, or very badly injured. Some of our staff and some of the police, Indonesian police, who were outside the embassy were killed or injured, and a lot of people passing by were killed or injured. But if you've seen the photos, a kilometre in both directions, either side of the embassy, there wasn't a pane of glass Unshattered. I remember the embassy ceiling falling in and racing downstairs and then we had to regroup and we had to account for all our staff. And then I had to speak to the Prime Minister and others. I remember going out the front of the embassy at that point and our defence staff and, and a lot of others from the embassy were already out there helping with injured people and so forth. And I remember seeing one of our consular staff with one of our gardeners, Indonesian gardeners, who was in the last throes of dying out the front where there were some horrendously injured Indonesian guards and policemen and people who had just passed on the street who were on motorbikes or motor scooters and things like that who died as a result of this. That was a very long, hard, difficult day. We immediately got tremendous support from the Indonesians and huge sympathy. A couple of days afterwards, I remember going along to the I was at the embassy, but I remember popping into the embassy at one point and uh, seeing all these uh, flower boards that they used to put out everywhere, and there were literally hundreds of them of, of Indonesians wanting to express their sympathy for it. A lot of Indonesian ministers came to the embassy to express their support. The then head of the Indonesian police, Dai Bakhtia, came along and was crying, and he, he just looked me in the eye, and tears streaming down his face. And he said, I promise you, Ambassador, we will catch these people. And, you know, they're really genuine expressions of, of great support for Australia. We worked ever more closely together as a result of it. The reaction that I saw of the Indonesian police and others 
and the Indonesian government and everybody. Megawati was in Malaysia at the time for a meeting and she closed that meeting off and came straight back. So, you know, it was a seriously impressive and very heartfelt expression. And we worked together famously as partners as a result. I mean, leaving aside the, the terrible tragedy of it all and our involvement in it, it was something that also strengthened the relationship between the two countries very dramatically. One of the key figures in our joint efforts against the terrorists throughout this period was Susilo Bambang Yudhiyono, who had been Megawati's coordinating minister for political and security affairs. Yes. In September 2004, Yudhiyono defeated Megawati in the first direct election for the Indonesian presidency and was inaugurated as president a month later. What impact did SBS assuming power have on Australia's relations with Indonesia? We got on well with Megawati. We got on well with her ministers. So one of whom was, as you say, was Bambang Yudhiyono. On the first anniversary of the Bali bombing, so in 2003, we had a major service in Bali, very, very, with all the families had come back for that. You can imagine how sad it was and what an occasion it was. But Yudhiyono, who was then still a coordinating minister, was in Australia, as it happens, and when we held this, and he came back for it, and on the plane on the way back, he wrote this amazing speech. And for those people who are interested, you, you really ought to have a look at the speech, which is online somewhere. But he wrote it personally. And we knew at that point that we would be able to get on with Bambang Yudhiyono very well indeed. He was an internationalist. He had commanded a, a peacekeeping force, UN peacekeeping force in the Balkans. He understood the international situation. He was a good friend of Australia's. So we knew we would get on very well with Bambang Yudhiyono. When people visited around the time of the Australian embassy bombing and various other things, we went and saw Bambang Yudhiyono and had a long talk to him as he prepared for his presidency about you know how we could cooperate more. And having him, uh, as I say, I don't want to criticise Megawati. She and her government did a you know, we're very supportive of all the assistance. That just increased as a result of Cicilla Bambang, you know. And we got on fantastically well with him as president. So the relationship improved even more. He was a very practical person. Military general, of course, so he understands the practicalities of all of this very well. Well, on Boxing Day 2004, mm. one of the greatest tragedies in history struck Indonesia also during your time there, the Indian Ocean tsunami that yes. killed nearly 170,000 people in Aceh alone. Mm. Now, it's obviously an event of unimaginable horror and devastation. And yet, thanks to Australia's support for Indonesia, and in fact, I think there was much support from around the world, it helped bring our two countries closer together yep. in the same kind of way that the horrors of the bombings had done. Yep. What parts of that event and its aftermath stand out to you in this regard? No, well, that's absolutely right. It became very clear to us very early on Boxing Day morning that there were going to be a lot of casualties in Arche. I remember asking people in the embassy, have you heard anything from Western Arche or South Southwestern Arche? And people kept saying, no, no, we haven't, but Bandar Arche, the capital, has been wiped out. And so they said, no, no, but have you heard anything from this part of Arche? And the answer was no. 
Not one single thing had anybody heard. And the reason for that was because they were all dead. And this was a horrifying thing. But again, Australia immediately, even before I got back, we had people on the ground up there. We had consular staff, we had aid staff, we had uh, Defence Force staff more than anything else. And we'd gone into it in a, in a, a kind of well-oiled machine aimed at trying to assist Indonesians. What would the Indonesians need what, you know, in this tremendous tragedy? What not just uh, short-term assistance for people who are displaced or homeless or injured or whatever else, but also assistance in a whole range of logistics and other, other ways. And I'm very proud to say that Australia was very uh, upfront about all of that immediately. But I'm particularly proud about two things. <clears throat> First and the most important thing was, uh, I mentioned earlier on that the thing about Indonesia and helping Indonesia is that it's Indonesia. It's their country, it's not our country. So half the world came and assisted, but they just simply moved in. They landed, they put out field hospitals, they did whatever else, and nobody consulted the Indonesians about it. They just thought, oh, this has been this terrible tragedy, we should be involved. They had more field hospitals than you know what to do with. Australia, on the other hand, said, we will work with the Indonesian military, with TNI, will in fact subsume our effort. You, you're the commanders. You tell us, you and the Indonesian government, the relevant ministers, you tell us what you need. We'll be involved. We'll answer to you. It's your country. You know, It's your part of your country. And I thought that was a tremendous sign that we actually understood something about the Indonesian psyche and it was really strongly strongly supported and welcomed by the Indonesian authorities that we chose to work with them and not over them, over the top of them. The other thing was that in dealing with the with the aftermath of the tsunami, half the world wanted to world's leaders wanted to go and inspect it. So every time one of their the president of wherever's plane wanted to land in Bandar Aceh, they had to shut down the airport. And so the whole relief effort would grind to a halt because they'd have to shut down the airport. And when John Howard, as our Prime Minister, was asked, you know, well, do you want to go to Aceh? He said, well, I certainly want to go to Aceh, but I'll go. I don't want to interrupt any relief effort at all. So you tell me when I'm not going to interrupt the relief effort and, and I'll go. And that was exactly what what we should have been doing, you know, we're actually taking account of the fact that there was a massive relief effort underway. John Howard went a couple of times, but the first time he went, we flew into Butterworth in Malaysia and then got onto a C-130 and actually just flew over Aceh, Bandar Aceh, and then at a low level down the coast for quite a while to, to inspect the damage. It was only after that that he managed to get to Aceh at some, at some point. But I, I thought both those things showed a, a kind of maturity in the relationship with Indonesia, tremendous maturity. The other thing that helped our bilateral relationship so much, there was a, a fantastic decision by the Australian government, not just to send ships and planes and helicopters and whatever else and aid and everything to help out, but the Prime Minister came up to see President uh, Yudhiyono and before he went to Aceh eventually and he said, that the Australian told me 
after we after it arrived that the Australian cabinet had just made a decision that he was going to offer a billion Australian dollars to the Indonesians to help them. He said, oh, how do you think he'll react to that? <laughs> I said, dude, don't be mad. They're going to think that's wonderful. And in fact, when the Prime Minister said to you, Diana, we want to provide you with a billion dollars in aid. Yudhiyono, again, went, had tears in his eyes and he said, I will never forget this. He said, we will never forget this. And again, we were really sensible because the, what we decided to do or what the government had decided to do is provide a billion dollars to the Indonesian government to assist them to free up their own resources, to put them into Aceh. So we took over paying for their whatever education for however months and the money that the Indonesian government therefore had to put into it, its own province. I think that was a marvellous thing to do. So I was incredibly impressed with the effort that people put in in dealing with the tsunami and the way in which Australia did it. It showed we'd learnt actually quite a lot about Indonesia as a result of that. And tragedy struck again in March 2005 when another earthquake and tsunami devastated the island of Nias, killing over 900 residents. Australia was again quick to help, but in the process, nine members of the Australian military were killed on the 2nd of April when their helicopter crashed. Coming so soon after the Aceh tsunami, could you talk a little bit about what kind of impact this series of tragedies had on the bilateral relationship? Well... The Indonesian reaction was very strong. Again, Yudhiyono was in Australia <laughs> and I was in Australia with him. He was in Sydney and when they'd retrieved the bodies of the nine service people and they brought them back in a C-130, we all went out to the airport in Sydney, including Yudhiyono, and were there for an extraordinarily moving ceremony with the, with the bodies being brought off the C-130 and so forth. It was quite, quite remarkable. But Udiano insisted on interrupting his entire program and, and going along to the airport to be part of that, which I think says a lot about him and about the state of our relationship at that point. Unfortunately, however, just a fortnight later, mm. various things happened or started to happen, setting train a whole new element to the bilateral relationship. This was the arrest of the so-called Bali Nine. Yeah. And that came just six months after the arrest of Chappelle Corby, who was convicted for drug smuggling in May that year. The Corby case in particular fueled animosities in both countries mm. towards each other, despite everything that both countries had been through. So how do you recall this series of events? In fact, the Bali Nine, I was in Bali with a, with a minister at the time, and they told me about it. Our responsibilities at that point were basically consular. I mean, there's a criminal case against these people. They've been arrested, Chappelle Corby, later the Bali Nine. And it's for the Indonesian justice authorities and the courts to do it, to work their way through that and come to a conclusion. Our task was to look after, provide consular assistance if required to these people and to make sure they got a fair trial We keep trying to tell Australians that if they're in Indonesia, they're subject to Indonesian law, not Australian law. But some people don't seem to believe this. (laughs) So that had to go through its course. And when it looked like, not so much with Chappelle Corby, but with the Bali Nine, it looked like the death penalty was 
potentially involved. Of course, we made representations about that at length because, of course, we do not support the death penalty anywhere in the world. Let me just add quickly at that. We can't pick and choose. And I used to say this publicly to people. When the Indonesian courts convicted the Bali bombers, we all went, absolutely, gee, they're good, aren't they? When they reached a judgment about the Bali Nine, we all said, well, it must be corrupt and, you know, poor law and the courts don't function well and what are we doing? We can't pick and choose. Do we do we accept the Indonesian legal system or don't we? What were your thoughts about Indonesia's future as you left Jakarta at the end of 2005 mm. and how different are they from your thoughts on Indonesia now? Well, no, I think they're much the same, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> on my last day there, a former colleague of mine, former one of my predecessors in, as ambassador in Indonesia, John McCarthy, who at the time was ambassador in Tokyo, rang me and said, I feel very sorry for you because you've just had the most interesting job you're ever going to have in your whole life. And he's right. We need to make people understand in both countries, in Australia and in Indonesia, that Australia's best interests are served by a country which is an Indonesia which is stable and prosperous and united. What does it benefit us to have a country that's unstable, poor and disunited? It destroys, it seriously destroys our strategic outlook in the world and an immediate neighbourhood. What we want is an Indonesia that is stable and that is prosperous and that is united. And as part of that, I wanted to add that we're quite arrogant in Australia, actually. We, in our view, we seem to believe that the Indonesians do nothing but think about Australia the whole time. It's just nonsense, you know. If you're the president, I remember Yudiano saying this when he was the president, going through the list of issues that he had to deal with, you know, tackling poverty, tackling corruption, dealing with the military, dealing with problems in Papua, dealing with this and the other thing. A million things that, that as president of Indonesia you had to do. And Australia was about, you know, 50th on the list there. We're not on their radar screen all the time. And we seem to believe that, you know, they're just hanging off our every single word, you know, that, oh, my God, I better think about Australia now. They don't think about Australia. They think about their own problems, which is fair enough. And if we can help them with that, that's, that's good. For the reason I mentioned earlier, that a stable, prosperous and united Indonesia is the best outcome for Australia. Yeah, peaceful, calm. Our relationship at the time was good. I still believe our relationship with Indonesia is good. I think you need to differentiate between the sort of surface waves, <laughs> ups and downs and so forth, and the currents underneath which just flow strongly. The Indonesians understand very well that their future is inextricably bound up with Australia. We're together. We're neighbours forever. And the Indonesians always used to say that to me. They say, we're, you know, we're neighbours. We're next door to each other. We've got to get on. What's the point if we don't get on, you know? It, there'll always be ups and downs, Timor, range of things like this, which are big problems at, at one level. But the really, really important thing is to keep thinking that actually the basic relationship, the fundamentals of the relationship between the two countries, I think are very strong and still very good. So I think 
the big one of the very big problems about the bilateral relationship is something that is within our power to do something about, which is that we seem to be spending a lot of time un-understanding Indonesia. <laughs> the number of people learning Bahasa Indonesia and, and now is tiny and universities are taking away Indonesian departments and other things. We, we continue to work very well. My successes in Indonesia have done a terrific job and there'll always be ups and downs and problems and everything in Indonesia. But we need to invest in it. A seriously large and important country could be an enormously good ally in our dealings with Southeast Asia and with, with East Asia more generally. It's a country which, with its population and a rising middle class, could take a lot of our exports and investment. For a number of reasons, we need to invest in the relationship with Indonesia, and we're not. And I think that's probably where I'd end. I, I just believe that we need to do vastly more in the relationship and invest vastly more in the relationship, which is of fundamental strategic and economic importance to Australia. David, I don't think you'll get into any disagreement from either Hillary or <laughs> me on that particular point. Absolutely. And on that note, I, I want to thank you very much again for coming. Pleasure. Thank you. That's all we have time for on policy, guns and money. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Thanks for listening.